Praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having guided us to Iman and making us within the Ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we send peace and blessings upon Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and upon his family and his companions and his wives and his progeny and all those that follow them in their ways. Uh, so last week we did Al-Wadud And there were some extra things I wanted to share regarding that But maybe next week Next week, we have next week, right? Next week's last week So we'll, we'll kind of add to that a few things uh, Next week, inshallah um, Today the first name that we come upon is Al-Majid So Al-Majid is actually very short uh, It means the all-glorious And what Imam Ghazali rahimullah mentions is the meaning of Al-Majid, that what does it mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the All-Glorious? It's basically a combination of several different attributes of His, the culmination of all of those together. So a person can have one attribute or two attributes, and there could be many great qualities to go after or to have. But Al-Majid is one who has all of these different good qualities, or all of these different attributes, Comprised into one being And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So he mentions that It is one who is noble in essence Beautiful in actions Bountiful in gifts and in favors It is as if nobility of essence is called glory When goodness of action is combined with it He is also the one who glorifies Yet one of these Meaning to be glorious or the glorifier Is more indicative of intensification It is as if Al-Majid combines the meanings of the majestic Al-Jalil the bestower, al-Wahhab, and the generous, al-Kareem. And we have discussed them previously. So he says basically al-Majid is a combination of al-Wahhab, of al-Kareem, and Jalil, all together. And you can go back and look at your notes if you're taking notes <laughs> about those, uh, those names. Uh, then we go on to al-Ba'ith. So al-Ba'ith has a couple of different meanings. Ba'ith can mean the one who sends, However, that's not the typical uh, understanding of this name with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah ta'ala says in various verses that he sent a messenger, right? Uh, so that's one meaning. However, there's more meanings. And the meaning that uh, most of the ulama agree on for this is the raiser of the dead. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-ba'ith. And he says, That indeed the day of judgment, sa'a is the hour. Meaning, the last hour. That hour will come, the day of judgment will come, and there's no doubt in it. And indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will resurrect. He will bring out whoever is in their graves. So He will bring everyone out. He is the one who resurrects. He is the one who raises the deceased from their graves. In another uh, verse of Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَفَلَا يَعْلَمُوا إِذَا بُعْثِرَ مَا فِي الْقُبُورِ that do they not know that whatever is in the graves will be turned out? 
وَحُسِّلَ مَا فِي الصُّدُورِ And whatever is in the hearts will be exposed. إِنَّ رَبَّهُمْ بِهِمْ يَوْمَئِذٍ لَخَبِيرٌ That indeed their Lord uh, regarding them on that day will be the all-informed. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring out whatever is in the graves and then beyond that He will bring out whatever is in our hearts. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will be completely and absolutely informed of our states in, in its entirety. Now Imam Ghazali rahimullah he mentions a lot, he gives a lot of examples, so you know, typically we kind of, I typically don't read through the book, I'm not just going to read through, but what I want to do this week, because he mentions so much, um, is to sort of go through the text little by little. So he mentions that uh, Al-Ba'ith is the one who gives creatures life on the day of resurrection, raising up those in the grave and revealing what is in the hearts, right, so we mentioned that. Raising of the dead is the final birth. And knowledge of this name is contingent upon a true knowledge of the resurrection. Yet that is one of the most hidden forms of knowledge. So raising of the dead is the final birth. Now what he talks about in this chapter is that there's basically... People generally view death in, in one of two ways, right? And neither of them is correct. The third way, which is the belief that there is life after death is the correct understanding. So Imam Muzali rahimullah, he says that what are the two ways that people generally think of death? How do they perceive death? Uh, or what happens after death? That it's a simple non-existence. Once somebody dies, then that's it. They're out of existence and there's nothing after that. And he says this is completely wrong. And the second understanding people generally have is the bringing of something new which is, a similar, which is similar to the first creation. So it's a type of new life that takes place, which is similar to the first moment that we were created. This is basically reincarnation, right? That, that's what he's talking about, that belief of reincarnation. That just as we were created the first time, we will be recreated the second time. However, it will not be linked to this life. So that's what reincarnation is right generally and maybe that yeah there are some that some faiths that say that you know based on your how you were in one life then in the next life you may be something of prestige you may be something of insignificance right and so if you were a person not a good person in this life then after death you're reincarnated to be something that is lowly and looked down upon right whether it be from like the insects or whether it be from uh, uh, humans or whatever it, it, it may be which brings the question that if you were to be some type of insect and that was a type of punishment for you, then how would you come out of that? Because when that dies, then there should be another creation after that, right? If it's a cycle. So do insects, are insects like bad and evil? No, they just act on their fitra, right? They act on the natural disposition that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created them. So if a lion, you know, or a dog or whatever attacks an individual and kills them, is there punishment for that animal? There's not punishment for that animal because that's the nature of the animal, right? And so they're not held to account for that, you know? Anyway, he says both are wrong, right? Both are wrong. He says because the grave is either one of two things. The grave for us will either be one of the pits of the fire or it will be one of the gardens of paradise. One of two things. So I believe it was Sayyidina Ali radiallahu anhu who when he would think about the grave, then he would begin crying. He would weep profusely. And when the people asked him that why is it that you, when you talk about the Akhirah, when you talk about Jannah and Jahannam, it doesn't move you to tears the way the grave does. 
He said, because the grave is where everything's at. If you pass the grave, then you've got it made. You have nothing to worry about. And if you suffer in the grave, if you don't make it through the grave, then that's just both, whatever your situation is in the grave, that's just a sign of what is to come. So if you're punished in the grave, know that you will be punished, at least for some time in the akhirah, right? And if you are not punished in the grave, well then, you have nothing to worry about. So he would cry profusely at the thought of the grave, right? At the thought of the grave itself. And that's what we have to prepare for, right? Even if we think about what is it that happens in the grave, right? Munkar and Nakir come, two angels come and they ask us questions. So they'll ask us, who is your Rabb? Right? Who is your Rabb? Who is, what is your deen? And who is your messenger? Who is this man? Right? Some say that people will be shown an image of Rasulullah However, they don't simply ask it. They're like yelling the, the questions. The one is in front of you, one is behind you. And they're yelling the questions to you and continuously repeating it over and over and over again. And every time they speak right, with, without stop, it puts you in more fear and more fright. And people are really scared to take a test. You know, we have these classes on the weekend, our mihrab class. First term we had, we said, you know, you have to pass the test to go into second term. There were people that literally didn't sign up for second term because they didn't want to take the test. Like, people are terrified. So we had, we had to change that rule, like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and people still were like, no, no, it's okay, I just won't come. Like, it's amazing. People are, people are terrified of taking a test. But, you know, whatever. You know, sometimes people are just scared. What, what are you going to do, right? But if that's what the test of this dunya is, then what about the test of the grave? What about the test of the akhirah? Right? How much more severe is that going to be? Anyway, he says, basically he spends the chapter refuting these two ideas. Right? Of a non-existence or uh, an existence that is not linked to the previous existence. Right? To this life. So he says... Uh, he brings a verse of Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَحْسَبَنَّ الَّذِينَ قُتِلُوا فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أَمْوَاتًا That do not think, لَا تَحْسَبَنَّ Definitely do not think those who have been killed in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be dead. بَلْ أَحْيَاءٌ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ يُرْزَقُونَ Rather they are alive by their Rabb. And they are sustained. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sustains them and keeps them alive. فَرِحِينَ بِمَا they are pleased with what their with what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives them out of his grace. That they are uh, they they rejoice and they are given the glad tidings. They are, yeah, they are pleased with those uh, uh, with those who have not met them that they left behind. So they ask about the people that they left behind. And when they're told about them, right, those people who will join them, they're pleased and they're happy, right? Because they know like now these people are good people and they will, they, they are, you know, they will enjoy this bounty as well, right? These are talking about specifically, this verse is talking about who? قُتِلُ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أَمْوَاتًا In a specific sense, right, where there's two concepts, khas uh, and am, that you study in usul al-fiqh. Khas is that it's something specific. So something is mentioned which, which is specific to an individual or a group. And am is something that's general. So the beauty of this deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his verses is that the same verse can apply, to, to, can, can apply in a khas sense and in a am sense. So this is specifically to the martyrs, right? Those who die on the battlefield. However, 
it also applies to any other type of path of Allah as well. Right? So dying on the battlefield, going out and fighting, that's not the only path of Allah. Right? Seeking knowledge is also the path of Allah. Going to the masjid is also the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? So there's various different uh, uh, avenues of being in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what we understand from this is that these individuals are alive in their graves. Right? Uh, that they will not, there's no fear on them, nor do they grieve. Right? So he's bringing this verse to show us that there is life after death. Okay? Uh, now somebody could say, oh, well, what if, you know, that's only for the martyrs. That does, because some people have this notion that you're not really alive, you're not really aware of your senses and whatnot in the grave, right? Like Muslims also will say, no, no, this is reserved specifically for the martyrs, this life in the grave. Okay? However, what is the hadith? It comes in most of the books. You know, book, I, I don't remember a book that it doesn't come in, but I know in Sahih Bukhari and whatnot, it's there. And it's very famous, always mentioned in the books of Sirah as well, that after the Battle of Badr, when the Rasulullah uh, and the Muslims, they took the bodies of the Quraysh that had been killed on the hands of the Muslims, and they were buried, right? Rasulullah some of them were thrown into a well. Right? There was a lot, so some of them were thrown into a well. And uh, Rasulullah addressed them, and he said that, we have found the promise of our Lord to be true. Have you found the promise of your Lord to be true? And so Sayyidina Umar, he says, Ya Rasulullah, are you addressing people that can't understand what you're saying? You're talking to the deceased. So Rasulullah says, by Allah, you do not hear me better than they do. The difference is, they cannot respond to me, whereas you can so just as you can hear me that clearly, they can also hear me. Who is he talking about? He wasn't talking about the martyrs, fi These are the people of Quraysh that warred against them, right? People like Abu Jahl and whatnot, right? So this shows that this life, this perception, sensory perceptions and whatever else may be in the grave is not reserved only for the martyrs. If it's going to be, if the people uh, who fought against Rasulullah and died, people like Abu Jahl, if they could hear him in the grave, then what about everyone else? Right? So you have the martyrs who have the highest rank and you have these people who died fighting against the Prophet who have the lowest rank. What about everyone else? That covers the whole spectrum, right? So that tells us when we visit the cemetery, the people can actually, those in the graves can actually hear us. Right? They can actually hear us. Now some have said that it's between like, you know, between basically on the day of Juma and this and that, whatever. Those are details. But the reality is that they can hear us, right? Anyway, that's a different discussion. Imam Zayyid he says that insan was created for all of eternity. Right? Insan was created for all of eternity. So thinking it to be a new creation altogether is wrong. Rather, it's another type of creation. What happens after death? It's not a new creation altogether, right? but it's another type of creation that is unrelated to the first. Now, what is his reasoning for this? He says that there's many different stages that can come upon creation. Right? And so he brings some verses of Qur'an, one from Surah Waqiyah where he says, وَنُنْشِئَكُمْ فِي مَا لَا تَعْلَمُونَ That we will uh, initiate your creation or recreate you uh, regarding that which you do not know. Right? That, he re- that he initiates the creation, he recreates us. Another verse of Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ثُمَّ خَلَقْنَا نُطْفَةً That uh, then we created a drop of sperm, Alakatan into a clot. فَخَلَقَنَا الْعَلَقَةَ مُدْغَةً And then from a clot, we made a lump. فَخَلَقَنَا الْمُدْغَةَ عِظَامًا And then from the lump uh, of flesh, we made bones. 
فَكَسَوْنَ الْعِظَامَ لَحْمَا And then we clothed, we clothed the bones with meat, with flesh. ثُمَّ أَنْشَأْنَاهُ خَلْقًا آخَرُ Then we recreate the creation into, something, into another creation. So we further, we bring a new type of creation, another type of creation, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not talking about something separate from us. This is, he's outlining what our life cycle is. Right? Drop of sperm, then a clot, then um, a lump, then bones. Then he clothes us with flesh and meat. Right? And then he says, we bring another type of creation. Glory be to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the best of creators. So what is this other type of creation? It's not talking about death here. It's not talking about life after death. The reason Imam Ghazali brings this verse of Qur'an is to tell us that there's different stages of creation. Within each one of us, there's different stages of creation. So he says, this is the soul. After all of that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He makes the soul. Right? He makes the soul and then He puts the soul into the body. What is the soul? What's the soul? You have an answer? Yeah. Exactly, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Yes, alunaka anil ruh. That they ask you regarding the ruh, regarding the soul. That say the soul, it is from the affair of my Rabb. Right? It's from the affair of my Rabb. And you have not given knowledge regarding it except for very little. We know very little about the soul. Right? It's something, and the reality is we probably wouldn't have been able to understand it anyway. Right? That's probably why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't give us so many details about it. Right? All we have to know is that the soul exists. The soul can be an insightful soul, and it, or it could be a very blessed soul, right? There's different stages of the soul also, right? Going down, going all the way from like the lowest of the low, the one that des- is wicked and desires wickedness, to the one that is in the middle, sometimes doing good, sometimes doing bad, to the one that is nafs mutma'inna, the one that is only concerned and has that fervor to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that's it, Right? Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says وَقَدْ خَلَقَكُمْ أَطْوَارًا He says that indeed we created you in stages. So it's clear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that He created us in different stages. Now if we look at the different stages, right? we look at the different stages of our existence and our creation. To deny, to deny life after death is foolish. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He has said in the Qur'an in so many different places in various ways, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said things like, uh, That how is it that Allah ta'ala will revive the earth, that He revives the earth after it is dead. So many places in the Qur'an, Allah ta'ala says that we cause the land to die and then we bring it life again. You guys been to Mount St. Helens? I went to Mount St. Helens... uh, I don't know, 15 years ago or something like that, right? And uh, it was, what, 20 or some odd years after the eruption, right? At that time, the trees were still standing, but they were bare. There were no branches on them, and they were dead. They were hollow. There was no greenery. Like, when you get closer to the top, to the lookout point, there's no greenery at all. It's just dead logs standing that didn't fall over. Because the... The, the volcano, the, what's it called? The lava went through it, didn't knock some of them down, knocked a lot of them down, didn't knock all of them down. And there's quite a lot. It was like, it was actually very interesting to see, right? It's like a sight like no other. And if you went back a few years later, then you'd see less trees 
those dead trees standing. Now I heard somebody, some relatives went to visit, went there, I don't know, this year or something. They said pretty much all of those dead trees are gone. And now you see, when I, I went a second time and you started seeing a little bit of greenery come up, right? Just barely sticking out of the ground, a foot, two feet. Now they say that it's, it's pretty green. They're not like huge trees yet because it hasn't been that long, but it's there, right? We can look at the grass, right? We look at different forests, different things around us. The grass, right? We get a week of heat and summer, then the grass dies. Watered a little bit, it's revived. Allah Ta'ala says that these are signs for those who ponder. These are signs for those who reflect. What is it a sign for? It is a sign of life after death. That's what it is a sign for, right? And everything, even medically, the body can also die and come back to life. It happens, right? Somebody, they go into cardiac arrest and they, you know, the ambulance comes, whatever, they're brought back to life. The body, like clinically a person, there's many people clinically who are considered deceased as far as doctors are concerned, right? Because the heart stops beating, the blood stops flowing, whatever happens, right? The details. But they get revived, right? Our cells also die and regenerate, right? So, so many things all around us die and regenerate and come back to life, why is it then difficult to understand or to believe that we also would be given life after death? The soul doesn't die, right? Not in a literal sense. Once the soul is created, it's eternal. It never dies in a literal sense. Metaphorically, we'll say, you know, this is like a dead soul or whatever. That's when a person is, you know, the soul has completely closed off to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? But the soul never actually dies. The body dies. So even after death, it's not like you're coming back to life. It's just life after death, right? It's not like your soul is being revived. Your soul never died. But Allah Ta'ala will recreate us. He will regrow us, right? There's that one, there's one piece in the body, in the bottom of the spine, the, near the, by the tailbone. I forgot what it's called. That's, science has said, I don't know if you guys, whatever classes you guys are taking, maybe you know this, right? that sciences, they, they said that this part in the tailbone is the most difficult, it doesn't uh, deteriorate, it doesn't go away, and it's very difficult to shatter, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this piece. Rasulullah s.a.w. speaks about this piece, that this is where we will be regrown from, literally. Our bodies will deteriorate in the grave. There'll be nothing left of them eventually, right? But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will recreate us. He will regrow us from that, right? There was one individual... There's one individual who said what? Uh, he said, he, he questioned and he challenged Rasulullah and challenged Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about him. I think he was Ubay bin Khalaf or something like that. He questioned, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, Awalam yara insanu anna khalaqanahu min nutfa fa huwa khasimun mubin. That do, does, does humanity, does mankind uh, not see that we created it? From a single drop, right? That we created it from a single drop of semen. Then they stand up in, in open, as an open adversary to us. So do they not see that we created them from a drop, not even flesh and bones. From a single drop we created them. And then they stand in open, uh, uh, as an open adversary against us. And then, uh, and then they, they set up an argument against us. And they and they forgot, he forgets his creation, he forgets that he was created. And he says that who will, uh, who will revive the bones when they have deteriorated, when they have decayed, 
Right? This is in Surah Yasin, right at the end of Surah Yasin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is quoting this individual. Qul, he says to Rasulullah say, This individual is asking you that how is it that after our bones have decayed, we've turned to bone and then decayed and deteriorated, that he's going to bring us back. You're saying we're going to have life after that? How is that possible? So Allah Ta'ala says, tell him we will do it just like we did it the first time. When you were nothing but a drop of sperm and we created you from that. Right? Then we will do it the first time. Or before that, was Adam created from a drop of sperm? No. Right? He wasn't. Allah Ta'ala fashioned him himself. He created him. He molded him. Right? Literally molded him and then put his soul into his body. So he wasn't he didn't come about like all the rest of creation. Right? He says, just as we did it the first time, we will do it again. Uh, indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing of all of His creation. Of all of His creation. Of all of creation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowledgeable of all of that. So we have different... Our life has different stages as we mentioned. One of my teachers mentioned once, if I remember correctly, he says that the first eight years or so of a person's life is sensory development. You're developing the senses, right? So a child, an infant, child, they're developing their senses. The next eight years is discernment, right, and perception, right? So roughly like 8 to 16, you can say. He said then the next eight years until about 24, 25 is a person, their, their concern is the, with their image and their appeal, right? How they look, basically, how, they, how others perceive them. That's what the next eight years of their life generally is focused around, right? Then the next eight years after that, so you can say, I mean, these are not like hard and fast. This is rough estimates, right? 24 to 32 is your, uh, physically, you're getting stronger and you're getting smarter. Physically, you are now on the incline. You finished growing, you know, you finished growing more or less, but your body is getting stronger, right? Even they say that, like, uh, by the time you're 30, you should, ha you should try to work on your body, meaning giving it strength, because the, what, uh, whatever situation your body is in, in those early, in by 30, 31, 32 or so on, so, uh, uh, and whatnot, that's pretty much what your body will maintain, more or less, right? Unless, you know, maybe somebody becomes like a total lazy bum or something like that, or you have some accident or whatever it might be, right? But generally speaking, same type of lifestyle, that's the type of uh, health that your body will keep, right, for some time. Then 32 to 40 is when you are at your peak, of mental capability and physical capability. At other times in your life, we will have uh, our, our mental capability is higher, but our physical capability is lower, right? Sometimes we have a mental peak, sometimes we have a physical peak, sometimes vice versa. So when we're younger, mentally, we haven't reached the pinnacle yet, but physically we have. So like, look at sports, athletes, right? What do they say? You'll see, uh, right? Like I, I remember what Michael Jordan, you, you guys are, you know, post Michael Jordan era. He, uh, he retired so many times, the first time he retired, 1993, and then he came back two to three years later, later, right? What did they say? That athletically, he wasn't at his peak anymore. Athletically, he wasn't at his peak anymore. But mentally, how he understood the game, he was better and he was a better player. Even though athletically, he wasn't as good as he was before, but he was a better overall player at that time, right? So between 32 and 40, you reach that uh, stage where mentally and physically you are at your pinnacle together, right? Meaning they are balanced with each other. 
And that's the perfect age. So in Jannah, right, there's a hadith that Rasulullah said what to a woman came, an old woman came and asked him about Jannah. And he said that, you know, sorry to tell you, but there's no old, there's going to be no old people in Jannah. So she started, she started getting teary-eyed, you know. And, and then Rasulullah smiled and he said, don't worry, everyone's youth will be returned to them when they're in Jannah. So you're old now, but your youth will be returned. So they say 33 about. 33 is like the perfect age. You hit your, 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 your peak at 33 approximately, and then you maintain it until 40, and then you start a decline. So Isa alayhi salam, he was raised from this world at the age of approximately 33. And when he comes back down, he's not going to be 2000 and whatever. Let's hope he's not 2033. That's going to be, it's like now, right? He's not going to be whatever, two, three thousand years. He's still going to be, as far as this dunya is concerned, he will still be 33 years old. And it is said that he will stay in this world for seven years. So anyone who's, you know, there at that time, like, you know, you start counting and just make the way you don't make it to that time anyway. <laughs> right? But 33, that's the perfect age. In Jannah, that'll be the age as well. Then after 40, there's a decline. So these are different stages. Now, he says that uh, it's, it's normal for, for humanity, for a person to, it's normal for a person to uh, not entirely believe something if they haven't witnessed it. So when someone's in the womb, do they have a sense of what's going to happen after the womb? Probably not, right? No idea. That's probably why they cry when they come out, right? That they cry to get breath, right? But maybe that's also, maybe that's also a reason, you know? <laughs> right? But the womb is, it's, right? it's great for them. They don't, they don't know what, what is beyond that. They don't know of a life after that. And then they're born, right? And then what happens? We have no memory of, our, of the womb. We have no memory of our infancy. Does that mean it didn't exist? It didn't happen? Of course not. Similarly, when you're a child... When you're, when you're growing up and, you know, your mother tells you, like, don't touch this light bulb or don't touch this, um, the stove, it's hot. But so many kids still do it. Why? Because they think, how could that burn me? What do you mean burn me? Like, you know? And then they touch it and then it burns them. So they haven't experienced it, they don't know, you know? So when you're in that stages of the sensory development, your discernment is off because you haven't experienced it. You haven't experienced life. You don't know what lays ahead, Right? And then when you're in that stage of discernment, the next stage of your life seems very, seems like it's not going to happen, right? How many people complain about their parents? 18, 19, 20, they're like this, 16 years old, they're like this, my parents are like that, they don't understand me, they don't know what it's like, right? We all go through it, right? And then what happens? They hit like, you, you know, you tell them that, look, when, you know, a few years down the line, it's going to be okay. Your relationship with your parents will be okay as long as you don't screw it up now, right? Just be patient, They'll, be, you know, they'll lay off a little bit too. They'll trust you and understand you and things will get better. No, it's not going to happen. My case is different. And then what happens? 23, 24, and they're like, oh man, like I totally screwed up my relationship with my parents, you know? <laughs> right? So we don't understand what's coming in the future. We don't want to believe it because we haven't experienced it yet. So this is, death is the same thing. Because we haven't experienced it, then there is no, uh, that's why we have a hard time believing it. Those that do have a hard time believing it. Right? Those that do have a hard time believing it. So it's simple. Like we just have to, like, this is part of our aqidah. Ilmul ghayb. Right? Uh, not, sorry, not ilmul ghayb. But uh, iman bil ghayb. Right? To believe in the unseen. If we say, well, I just wanted Allah Ta'ala to show me. You know? Why can't He just show me? Well, then there would be no test. Right? We're shown. So what's the test then? 
If I tell you that uh, somebody is outside the room, right? If I tell you, like, whatever. If I say Tehran is outside the room, nobody hears them. You guys are going to, you might believe me, you might not, depending on how much you trust me. You hear his voice, you're going to think, okay, yeah, it sounds like he's there, right? You'll believe me a little bit more. When you see him, you have complete yaqeen, right? You have complete yaqeen at that moment. So if you see him and then you say, yeah, I trust you, that's not trust, right? You didn't trust me. You had to see him. But if you believe without having seen him and then without having heard him, that shows trust, right? That shows that you actually believe me. This is how we are with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We believe. Now for us, it's, it's actually easier than that because what? Rasulullah went on his Isra al-Miraj and he saw all of these things. He saw Jannah, he saw Jahannam. He met with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He saw all of these things, right? So it's no longer a matter of us saying, well, somebody should experience it. Somebody did experience it. And nobody said that Rasulullah was a liar, right? Nobody said that he was a liar. Everyone believed him to be true. Everyone, right? Even the Quraysh, they believed him to be true, right? And so that's why they continued giving him, giving him uh, their amanat, right? When they were, they were persecuting him. And then he left from Makkah Mukarramah, right? He, he left secretly. He left Ali radiallahu there in his house, right? And he slept in his bed. Why did he leave Ali radiallahu there? First he told Ali Radna, he said what? He said, don't worry, you know, tomorrow morning I want you to give whatever people have left in my trust, I want you to give it back to them. That shows his trustworthiness, that they, can, they were persecuting him, yet they kept asking him to hold on to my wealth. And then he had so much upright character that he said, I'm leaving because they're trying to kill me, but you stay behind, they won't do anything to you, and you give them their, their, their wealth back. He could have just taken, we would have just taken off, right? What does this guy think he is? Sayyidina Ali Radna, he said that, Every night I went to sleep not knowing if I would wake up the next morning. But that night, I knew I was going to wake up. That night, I knew I was going to make it to the next morning. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ left him a task and said, don't worry, nothing's going to happen to you. That's how much yaqeen he had in the Prophet ﷺ, right? So those Quraysh, they still believed the Prophet ﷺ to be trustworthy. We, the, the Prophet ﷺ has gone and told us of all these things that are going to happen. So why should we not? Why should we not believe it after that? Right? Another verse... Uh, of Quran, um, sorry, we'll read some more of the book. I said we were going to read, and then we didn't read it, right? <clears throat> he says that um, interior vision has guided the masters of intellectual perception to the fact that man was created for eternity, and that there is no way for him to become non-existent. Of course, at one moment his behavior may be separated from the body, and it is said he is dead. Or again it may return to it, and it is said he has come to life and is resurrected. That is, his body has come to life, but this book cannot undertake to explore the depths of all that. Concerning their opinion that the resurrection is not a second creation, but is like the first coming to be, that is not sound. So we discussed all of those things. Right? That was the second of the two uh, uh, ideas people have about death. He says that just as a true understanding of discernment is difficult for an infant before it has attained the level of discernment, and a true understanding of reason and of the wonders revealed in this stage is difficult before attaining to the level of reason. Right? So, what does he say? A true understanding of reason and the wonders revealed in this stage is difficult for one uh, who has not attained the level of reason. Right? In a similar way, understanding the stage of holiness and prophecy is difficult during the stage of reason. So he mentioned previously, we skipped over it, that you have the stage of reason, and then you go on to the stage of holiness, which is wilaya. And then beyond that is the stage of prophethood. Now, of course, none of us can ever reach the stage of prophethood, but we could reach the stage of wilaya. And that is the state of perfection, 
he says, For holiness is a stage of perfection that comes after the creation of reason, as reason is a stage of perfection after the creation of discernment, and discernment is a stage after the creation of the senses. So those phases that we mentioned, he basically just highlighted those, right? Similarly, it is a part of human nature for men to deny what they have not achieved or attained, to the point where each person tends to deny what he does not see or what he has not attained, rather than believe what is hidden from him. So it is natural to them to deny holiness and its wonders, as well as prophecy with its hidden secrets. Indeed, it is characteristic of them to deny the second creation and the next life, since they have not yet attained it. Right? So, <clears throat> he goes on. It's actually quite a lengthy chapter. But what he mentions is he says that the truth of resurrection refers to bringing the dead to life by creating them once more. Right? That's the reality. So what is our part to play in it? They bring a verse of Quran where he says, uh, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is asking that is the one who is dead, right? Is the one who was dead, then we revived him and we made for him a light that he walks amongst the people with it. Like the one, is that individual like the one who is stuck in his darkness, not coming out of it? Imam Razi, rahimullah, he says this verse refers, gives us the notion, the idea that ignorance is like death. Ignorance is like death and knowledge is light. Knowledge is life. So ignorance is death and knowledge is life. So the reality, Imam Ghazali says, the reality, the truth of resurrection is bringing, bringing the dead to life by creating them once more. And ignorance is the greatest death and knowledge is the noblest life. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned knowledge and ignorance in his holy book, this is the verse he's, he's speaking about here, and called them life and death. Whoever lifts another out of ignorance to knowledge has already created him anew and revivified him to a blessed life. And should a man have a way of conveying knowledge to people and calling them to the Most High, that would be a kind of revival. And such would be the level of prophets and the scholars who are their heirs. So this is... This was al-ba'ith, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala resurrects everyone, right? He brings everyone, He brings them, grants them life after death. Because as we mentioned, the soul is not what? The soul is eternal. The soul doesn't die. Right? The soul does not die. So we have to prepare for this life. We have to prepare for this life that awaits us, and it awaits us all. Right? I asked one individual, he asked me, he said, you know, what if you're wrong? You think, he's an atheist, he said, what if you're wrong? that you, you know, there's no life after death. I said, okay, so if I'm wrong, at least I'll live a moral life, right? At least I'll have a good life in this world, a moral life. What is it that people want most of all in this world? What is it? Happiness. Huh? Happiness. happiness. Yeah, maybe, pursuit of happiness. What else? Glory. Fame, right? It's not wealth. Wealth is a big part of it, but it's wealth because they think wealth will get them fame. So what do people want? They want to be remembered by something, right? That's generally what we want. We want to be remembered something. We want to be remembered in a good way, you know? We're not like the people of the past, right? Where Imam Shafi, he said that if it wasn't for the fact, something to the effect, he said that if it wasn't for the fact that this knowledge needs a sanad, right? That you need to know who this knowledge is coming from. I would not, I would not, have, uh, I would not have allowed my name to be attributed to anything. Right? Like we're not, most people are not like that, especially now, right? So people are after fame. 
They want fame. So what's going to get them fame? To have lived a good life. To be remembered by people around them. Right? Now if that's what we're after, I told the individual, I said, so at least I'll have lived a moral life. I said, what if you're wrong? What are you going to do? He said, well, you know, just like when I'm uh, uh, something, I'm driving on, in the road, I'm driving in the car, and something comes in the road. And I have to react to it at that moment. And I have to swerve or make a decision. That's, I'll, that's what I'll do. If there's life after death, that's what I'll do. But Allah has told us that that's too late. The time to act is in this world. Right? Time to act is in this world. So we have to take opportunity. How would she know that? Like, huh? Like, yeah, how would she find out again? Yeah, so he's saying that if there's life after death, after I die, then I'll know it. And so I'll figure out what to do then. Right? Figure out what to do then. So that's why Imam Ghazali, part, you, could, you could also understand that that second concept he's talking about, that they think it's a life similar to this life, it could apply in that, manner, in that context also, right? It's not like that. You're not gonna, now you can react. You can think about things and you can change your life. Once we've died, we can't do that anymore. Right? We can't do that anymore. And the reality is that this, this is a physical world. The physical world has a cause and effect. Right? If I drop this water on the ground, there's going to be something's going to happen. The floor is going to get wet. Right? If, if I do something, a chain of events is going to take place. Right? If I go and get in someone's face, they might hit me. Right? There, there's a cause and effect to everything. Right? To everything, there is a cause and effect in the physical world. And everyone will accept that. So, why is the spiritual world any different? Why would we say that the spiritual world is any different? Right? Like it's mind-blowing that we can deny <laughs> life after death, right? Because we've exp when we have the womb and all that in front of us, the concept of the womb and life in the womb. and I mean, think about it. Like from a single drop of sperm, we are created. Does that, that doesn't make logical sense. It's not something hard, right? That, oh, your bones are going to come out of it and this and that. It's like, it's like water, <laughs> right? Yeah. How did they keep life? Huh? He, um, I, I was so shocked, honestly, I was like 17, 18, I was so shocked that I just, I, had, I was like, wow, this guy's so far gone. I didn't respond. <laughs> yeah. um, I've had conversations with him, uh, uh, you know, aside from that too, and it's just like, generally they tend to like, he tends to dodge the, when you, when you pose something that kind of catches them and it breaks their argument, they, they move on to something else, right? Move on to something else, that's typically what happens. Right? It's like, it's like when people, you know, off topic, but it's like when people say, you know, uh, this deen, we can't just trust the ulama. We have to take, we have to figure things out for ourselves because we have a brain and we can, you know, we, we have to use our brain. So totally different topic, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us when he means, ref, when he says reflect in the Quran, right? Ponder and think. He doesn't mean ponder and reflect the rulings. He means ponder and reflect the lessons. Do we, we talk about this? No? So he means reflect. You know, Allah says so many times in the Quran that uh, reflect and ponder over the verses of Allah. We make a mistake and we ponder over the, the ahkam, the rulings that are derived from these verses. That's not for us to do. That's for the ulama to do, right? What we are meant to do is reflect on the lessons that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. So, you know, كَيْفَ يُحِلْ أَرْضَ بَعْدَ That how is it that Allah Ta'ala revives the earth after it has died? 
right? Reflect on those lessons. Reflect on the lessons, the stories of the prophets. Reflect on, you know, Adan Thamud. Reflect on these different things, not ahkam. So one individual said to me recently that this is, we have to, we have to use our own brain and, and uh, come to the decision on our, by ourselves of what's right and what's wrong. How do we know what's right and what's wrong? So when you pose the question that, uh, and actually I, I, there's, this, there's an interview that I saw several years ago. It's an Al Jazeera interview. And the, the reporter is the one that actually posed this question, right? That this one, the person he was interviewing, he asked her, he said, well, how, how do you, who do you turn to when you want an explanation of a verse of Quran? She says, oh, I don't turn to anyone. I'm a smart person. I can figure it out for myself. Now this individual was talking about thing, saying certain things are permissible in Islam that if you were to say they are permissible it would take you outside of Islam. Right? And again, we mentioned so many times before doing, the, doing sins, committing sins doesn't take you out of the fold of Islam but thinking something that's clearly mentioned in the Quran to be a sin, considering that to be permissible, that takes us out of the fold. Right? But don't go like yelling kufr at everybody who does that, right? Because there's so much ignorance now, the ulama have said like, we'll excuse them for their jahala and their ignorance, and we'll try to teach them first, right? And if they're adamant on that, we'll keep trying to teach them. And if they're still adamant, we'll warn them. And if they're still adamant, then we'll tell them like, we'll just say like, look, you know, uh, there's consequences for having this belief. But we don't try to take people into kufr, right? Anyway, this, uh, this reporter asked this woman, he said, okay, so then tell me, if you just... If you just decipher things for yourself and come to your own conclusion, and she says, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be in Islam. She said, okay, if that's how it's supposed to be, then how do you respond to extremists, right? Groups like ISIS and this and that who are just saying, you can kill everyone and anyone and you can do this thing and that thing and everything the Prophet has forbidden and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden, right? You can take it and do it and, and, and make it permissible and uh, interpret the text of Quran for however you want to interpret them. How do you respond to them? They're doing the same thing. According to them, it's permissible. So now how do you respond if this is the way of Islam? She just moved on to something else because it breaks her argument, right? That's typically, that's oftentimes what people end up doing. And we have to remember that. That when it comes to knowledge, it's not just, oh, let me, I think this makes sense to me, so that's just what I'm going to do. Right? We have to look to the ulama who have that chain of narration, that chain of transmission. And then there's going to be difference of opinion, fine. There's valid differences of opinion that are acceptable. Try to stick to one, two ulama that we just follow them, right? Stick to them. That way, at least we'll be sincere in our following, right? We're not just following this one because it's easier, and then this one because it's easier, and then this one because it's e easier, right? We're trying to be sincere in it. Right? Anyway, so, yeah, that was a tangent that, you know, other conversations with this individual, they've, they, they kind of just dodged the question and whatnot when they, right? Yeah, the, the conversation I had with them was another time was that uh, if, if we are, you know, uh, what was it? That if, if the Qur'an tells us about things that were impossible for the people to know at that time, right? Like the development of the child in the womb. And the person who informed us, informed us of that, when asked, how do you know this? He says, well, this is all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At that time, you couldn't have done an autopsy and really figured out what happens in the womb, right? You couldn't really have done that. So when he's asked that, how do you, how do you know this? He said, this is from Allah. If we believe him about that, why should we not believe him about everything else? And so why don't you believe him? Discussion changes, right? Topic then changes after that. Anyway, so we have to prepare for this life 
uh, we have to prepare for this life after after death because it's coming and it's going to come to us all, right? And it's the day, it's the when we will be taken to account for everything that we did, and how we acted and how we treated people and how we fulfilled our rights to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So we have to prepare for that, and be those people like Sayyidina Ali radhiAllahu who who you know used to weep over the grave, right? I mean, think about it. He was a man who said that if Jannah and Jahannam were to be brought in front of me, it wouldn't have made a difference in how I act. Right? It wouldn't have made a difference in how I act. Why? Because he was already living his life to the highest code of ethics possible. Right? Not just simply knowing what those code of ethics are, but actually living it. He said, so it wouldn't change the way I act. But when he thought about the grave, he cried. <laughs> right? But what's our state? A good book to read is another book of Imam Ghazali's. It's called um, Remembrance of Death and the Afterlife. You can even get it. The, the, I read it. I actually read it from the UW library. You can get it. It's there, right? It's a really good book. It's kind of thick, and it's kind of it's scary too. It's scary. Like you'll read it and think, Man, "I'm not gonna wake up if I go to sleep." You know, it's terrifying. And the ulama have said that he ends the book. He ends the book speaking about uh, jannah, right? Jannah and reward and blessings and all that. And they say that if he hadn't done that, people who read this book would have just stayed depressed for the rest of their life. <laughs> Uh, remembrance of death and the afterlife. And the afterlife. My Imam Ghazali. So we should have a habit of reminding ourselves of, of death also. Right? If we remind ourselves of death, then that's what's going to. That should, that's what should rectify us. And it's mentioned, some of the ulama mentioned that this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ba'ith, right? This is with an Ayn. Ba'alif Ayn, Tha, yeah. So, yeah, so one, one, is, one is to take a muhasaba of yourself. That every day, take yourself to account. When you're going to sleep, think about how you spent your day and was it pleasing to Allah? Was this action pleasing to Allah? Was that action pleasing to Allah? Right? Remind ourselves of death. Visit the cemetery. Right? Actually go to the cemetery. Right? Women can go to the cemetery also. I know a lot of people will be like, no, you can't do that, haram and this and that. But because the, the Prophet forbade everyone in the beginning. And then when he allowed it, he used the, the, the particle kum, which means all of you. And it's not specific to men only, right? It's inclusive of women also. The only thing with visiting the graves for women is that um, at the time of burial, like, you know, to have some bit of separation, right? And then uh, if you're going to be so emotional that you're wailing, not crying, but like wailing, right? Then you should avoid the grave. But that's for men also. You shouldn't go, you know, if you're going to be in that state. Sometimes it might happen, right? Loved one, whatever, right? You might be in that state. So you should wait until you've kind of gathered yourself a little bit more. Um, and just kind of avoid uh, uh, just total mixing and whatnot. But, yeah. Why were they forbidden from the uh, Because their iman wasn't strong. So the Prophet forbade them because to stop them from grave worship and whatnot. Right? Because that's ultimately what they used to do, right? The Quraysh and whatnot. They were idol worshippers. Most of their idols were idols of people who had lived before them. Right? Um, so they used to be forbidden. And now uh, then it was allowed for everyone. And it's really, sometimes it's a life-changing experience. Right? You go to the grave, you see that body being put into the ground. Right? 
Also, like, try and go and perform a ghusl for people when they die, right? People have had life-changing experiences. Like, you're actually, this, this body, this person was living and breathing yesterday, and now you're washing them, and you're about to bury them into the grave, right? It's, it's really eye-opening, you know? So we take muhasaba, just, you know, talk about it once in a while, right? Remind ourselves of, of death. Know that it will come, right? Remind ourselves of it. And like, you know, we're going to be forgetful at times, right? There's a hadith about somebody came, I forgot who it was, but they, they were stressed out, freaking out. And the Sayyidina Abu Bakr saw them in the street and they asked, he said, why are you so stressed out? You look so depressed and worried, what's wrong? The Sahabi, he said that, I, I think I'm a munafiq. I think I'm a hypocrite. So Abu Bakr said, why are, you, why, why are you munafiq? Why do you think that? He said, you know, when I'm with the Prophet I'm thinking about Allah and I'm feeling this, you know, uh, uh, I'm rejo- my heart is rejoicing in this enjoyment of being around him and I'm thinking about Allah and remembering the afterlife and I'm so focused on my deen. But when I'm with my family or when I'm out doing my daily duties and my work and whatnot, then I forget about those things. I, I'm with my family and I joke. You know, instead of being the way I am with the Prophet Sallallahu So Abu Bakr, he says, if this is your case, you know, I think I'm a munafiq too. This is my case too, right? <laughs> he says, let's go to the Prophet right? Look at that. I mean, these are like the Sahaba, the Prophet Abu Bakr, who is the closest companion to Rasulullah and, and he's like, I think I'm a munafiq, you know? And like, look at our state, right? They go to the Prophet and he smiles. He says, look, relax. If you were to maintain your level like we could say ruhaniyat, right? Your ruhaniyat, your level of spirituality. If you could maintain that when you were away from me, the same way that you are when you're with me, the angels would have come and shaken your hands throughout your day, right? He's like, so it's not gonna, you're, not, you're not going to maintain that. You know, when you're away from me, you're not going to be at that same level when you're by me, right? This happens, you know, so there's some ulama, not all the ulama, but some of the ulama, right? Especially those dealing with tazkiyah and stuff like that, purification of the heart. When you're around them, you, you really feel a difference. There's like a huge difference in how you feel. Then you leave them and you feel this sadness, but like you have this fervor to do, make ibadah and stuff like that. And then like after some time, we just kind of slip back into our thing, right? That's why we have to renew ourselves in doing good and whatnot. But we should, we just like take ourselves to account, right? Sometimes write it. I don't know, make a widget on your phone and like just say death or something. Don't say death. Somebody finds it and be like, he's Muslim crazy. <laughs> right? Something to remind yourself, right? Maybe in your home or whatever, right? Of the, of the grave. Yeah, man, I came back from, from Zambia and I had like a book called um, Preparation for Death. They opened up my suitcase. They're like, you getting ready to die, man? What's going on? <laughs> so, I did, man, you know. They didn't bother me after that. That was after like, you know. Anyway, we take ourselves to account and remind ourselves of it. It's, so this name, Ba'ith, Ba'alif, Ain, Tha. Some of the ulama mentioned that if we have that problem in our life of going back and forth from a life of sin to repentance, we should recite this name often. Ya Ba'ith. Call upon Allah with this name often, and inshallah it should be a remedy for us to, you know, fix ourselves and, and go more towards a life of piety and, and be easier to stay away from sin. Right? Yeah. Any questions? Yeah. Because that's going to be right at the end of time, and the world, life's going to be extremely difficult. 
So what happens before Isa Islam comes is the Mahdi has to come, Dajjal has to come, right? And when Dajjal comes, first of all, when the Mahdi comes, like that's going to be difficult enough for Muslims in the world. It's going to be very difficult, right? And then he's going to call everyone. He's going to call everyone, like come and you know, join us and give the bayah. And uh, it's not going to be easy to go to him. We're, I mean, it's going to be difficult enough to leave our comforts but then you think about you know, the world working against him and this and that, like, it's going to be tough to get there, right? Dajjal is going to come. And when Dajjal comes, it's going to seem rosy, right? There's going to be drought and there's going to be famine and then he's going to, he's going to uh, cause it to rain, right? He's going to cause it to rain and he's going to bring, you know, it's going to look like he's the one that's bringing life to the earth. He's, going to bring, he's literally going to kill people and bring them back to life, right? And... You know, a lot of people will turn to him, right? A lot of people will turn to him. So the the time right before Isa Islam is very, is extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. So it's it's like it's too big of a test. <laughs> so, huh? So if you, if, if you prepare for your death properly and that time comes, you'll be ready for it, right? If you prepare for your death properly, we don't know if that time will come, right? That we'll see Isa al-Islam, we'll see Dajjal, right? But what we're sure of is that we will see our death, right? That we can all rest assured, everyone's agreement, right? Atheist, Muslim, Christian, Jew, Hindu, whatever, right? Everyone is certain that we will die. So prepare for death and then you'll be ready for it that time. When that time comes, there will always be people who, are, who will be ready for it, right? There will be those people who uh, they've made their, their hearts sound, right? So if we try to make our hearts sound and cleanse our hearts, then we'll be able to see through the things that Dajjal does. We'll be able to see what is right and what is wrong. Right? In the verse of Quran, there's, there's a verse that says that, you know, uh, fear, fear the gaze of the believer for when he sees, he sees with the light of Allah, right? So that's that, you'll be able to see it, right? Like now we deny all these, we deny karamat, miracles, right? Abnormal things that deny, defy, sometimes defy physics and the nature of the world. Dajjal is going to come and he's going to do those things. And people who deny it altogether, it's very possible that they will say, well, if these things are impossible except by a prophet or by Allah, well, he's claiming to be Allah, right? People will literally worship him, you know? So we have to have a sound heart so we can see through these things, right? It's mentioned that Dajjal will have uh, 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 kufr written on his forehead. And so it'll be, and the believers will be able to see it. Whether that's literal or metaphorical, I don't know. But you've got to figure there's going to be believers that are blind also, right? So if they're blind and they can't actually see anything, how will they be able to tell? Is it tough luck for them? Probably not. Probably look with their heart, you know, and they'll be able to figure it out. So we have to make our hearts, purify our hearts, you know. That's why like all these sins and stuff like that we talk about, don't do these, this sin, don't do that sin. It's rust, it's literally rust on the heart, right? Allah says, That nay, rather it was rust on their hearts as a result of what they used to earn and what they used to do. So when we commit a sin, rust comes on our hearts. And literally, like... Enough rust comes on our hearts, we literally just stop caring about doing good. And then when we stop caring about it, we start denying it altogether. Because more and more rust is coming onto our hearts. So we have to cleanse and polish our hearts.
Right? We have to try extremely hard to polish our hearts, make a lot of dhikr, be around the pious, right? Be around the pious. Does that answer your question? Kind of? Not really? We have to purify our hearts, right? If we purify our hearts and live a noble life, sincere life, that's the only way to really prepare for it. There's nothing you can really do to prepare for it. I mean, the Sahaba were such that Rasulullah Sallam spoke about Dajjal so much one day that after, after Salah, after like Fajr, he, he, he spoke about Dajjal until Dhuhr. Then after Dhuhr, he spoke about him until Asr. Then after Asr, he spoke about him until Maghrib. The whole day, he, he sat there and he spoke about Dajjal in the Masjid. And the Sahaba said, we were freaked out. We thought, he, they said, Ya Rasulullah, we feel like he's standing at the gates of the city and he's going to come in. And the Prophet said, don't worry, if he comes while I'm here, I'll take care of him. But if he comes after I'm gone, if he comes from the east, you run to the west. And if he run, comes from the west, you run to the east. Right? Like basically, even the Mahdi's not going to go fight him. Right? Now the Mahdi's not going to fight him because he knows that that's for Isa Islam. Isa Islam is the one that's going to kill him. Right? And there's going to be one person that stands up to him. Right? Some say it's Khidr, if Khidr is alive, right? Then there's that whole debate. But one person, whether it's Khidr or not, one person will stand up to him. And he will say that he will kill this individual, slice him in half, and then bring him back to life. And he'll say that, now do you believe that I'm your, your, your Lord? And this person will say, no. Now I know you're not. Right? And at that time, Isa will come and strike him down. So there's really no, like the only way to prepare for it. It's not like a test that we just study the answers, you know? That we study the answers, yeah. Living life as a Muslim, you hear about all these different things about the judge and like what, what he is. I'm sure uh, Catholic even like they, they, they learn about the judge as well as well. So like um uh, so when he comes, when all the signs are met, like when these signs are met, people actually realize it. Uh, are those people saved as well because they realize it, right? So they've been worried about it. So. Um, it's not simply a matter of knowing. Because look at our state, right? We know what's right and wrong, yet we still do wrong, right? There's a lot of rights and wrongs, but you understand? So just simply knowing is not enough. It has to be. Allah talks about the, uh, the salim, qalbin salim. Right? Except for the one who comes to Allah with a sound heart. That's what's necessary. We have to have that sound heart. People, people of all faiths, even Muslims are going to follow Dajjal at that moment, right? Even Muslims will follow Dajjal at that moment. There will be many people who are not Muslim and he comes and they'll become Muslim because they'll follow the Mahdi, they'll follow Isa right? There's many Muslims that don't follow the Mahdi and Isa they'll follow Dajjal, right? We have to make dua. One of the signs is that Dajjal will, will only come when the people have stopped speaking about him from the mimbar. So it's as though the world will have forgotten about him, right? Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. You know? So when, he stopped, when they stop speaking about him, that's when his time will come. And this is something that even the Prophet ﷺ, like they knew his, the last messenger's name was going to be Muhammad. Right? And so there were, he wasn't actually the first person who had this name, Muhammad. There were others that had his name as well. But just before Rasulullah was born, like there was literally like maybe a handful of people, right? Between Isa and the Prophet ﷺ that had this name. Uh, and it was typically people from Banu Israel who were waiting and they knew all the signs and they said, okay, you know, like let's name, we'll start naming our children Muhammad because, you know, maybe he'll be the last prophet or something. But then just before he came, Allah Ta'ala like made it such that people stopped naming their children Muhammad. So it's kind of similar, Dajjal, he'll stop being spoken about. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So we should make dua that we don't see that time, but if we do, then that Allah Ta'ala bring us in the company of Isa. Right. So just we'll end off real quick. Any other questions? Okay, well, let's just make dua and then you guys, if you have questions, you can ask after. اللهم انت السلام منك السلام تبارك وتعالى ذا الجلال والاكرام سمعنا وطعنا وغفرانك ربنا وليك المصير اللهم اغفر لنا ذنوبنا وطهر قلوبنا وحسن فروجنا يا الله forgive us of our sins and our shortcomings يا الله our major sins and our minor sins يا الله grant us a life that is pleasing to you grant us a death that is pleasing to you and raise us on يوم القيامة with those that have pleased you grant us realization of this life after death يا الله and let us live our life accordingly and prepare for death يا الله Ya Allah, unite us with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam on Yawm al-Qiyamah, Ya Allah, and let him be pleased with us. Ya Allah, let us love you and let us love Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And you love us and let Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam love us. Let us love his companions, all of them, Ya Allah, and let them love us, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, let us love those who love you, Ya Allah. And guide us and keep us on the straight path. All those who are suffering and sick around the world, forgive them and remove their sicknesses, their sufferings. Grant the needs of, all the pious needs of those who are in need of, of, of whatever they are in need of, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, forgive our parents, our teachers, our mashaykh. Ya Allah, we beg of you and seek from you the best of uh, whatever, all the good that Rasulullah SAW sought from you, and we seek refuge in you from all the evil that Rasulullah SAW sought refuge in you from. Allahumma inna nas'aluka min khayri ma as'alaka minhu nabiyuka Muhammadun sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa na'udhu bika min sharri ma as'ta'adha minhu nabiyuka Muhammadun sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa antil musta'an wa alayka al-balaag wa la hula wa la quwata illa billahi al-aliyya al-azim. Subhana rabbika rabbil azzati amma yasifun wa salamun alayhi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.